I've written a hip-hop song. It's about our podcast. Fantastic. I can't wait. <laughs> if that doesn't win a Grammy, nothing will. Okay. <laughs> That'll put us on the international hip-hop scene. Mark, hello. How are you this morning? Well, I'm fine because I think we've defeated the winter. Right. But as it turns out, that's the least of our problems. <laughs> How are you down there? I'm fine. I have a question for you, and this relates to our number of the week. And our number, well, my number of the week, is it's uh, been 50 years since hip-hop started. Are you a hip-hop fan? This will come as no surprise to my close friends. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that's a terrible pity because I've written a hip-hop song. Oh, well, I do have children. About our podcast. Fantastic. I can't wait. <laughs> it's about our podcast. I'm going to just give you two or three verses, and I want you to do the following. You've got to say, uh-huh, uh-huh. Or else, ooh. Okay. <laughs> okay, you ready? Okay, when, when do I say, uh-huh, uh-huh? You know, in the appropriate moment. Okay. Okay, go. All right, yeah. It's the podcast that's turning heads. Mark Barnes and Tim Combs drop knowledge like lead. Uh-huh, uh-huh. From the mics to the speakers. Uh-huh, uh-huh. We speak the insight, diving deep into topics, keeping minds in flight. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> Educational vibes here. We're changing the game. No need for a classroom. You're building our own lane. <laughs> I might be. Mark Barnes on the mic, bringing passion and fire. Tim Cohen on the beats, <laughs> taking it higher and higher. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Last verse, last verse. Mark Barnes and Cohen on the podcast. We flow, spreading wisdom of ideas and watch our empire grow. Indeed. Uh, <laughs> life's mysteries to the lessons we've known. Tune in now. Let insights be shown. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> if that doesn't want to give me nothing. Will okay, <laughs> that'll put us on the international hip hop scene. Ah, oh, can't wait for the outfits. All right, so now I have a little acknowledgement. I just have to acknowledge the slight contribution of Chat GPT, not a huge contribution. Uh, well, uh, <laughs> so I'll tell you what, I saw the latest Chat GPT use was a guy. He was having a fight with his girlfriend and he asked ChatGPT to write her a reconciliatory WhatsApp, right? I was in tears halfway through it. Okay. Oh, really? They made up <laughs> instantly and I think they might be married now. Okay. So, yeah, it has its use. Don't trust those WhatsApp. AI is at last yeah. coming to yeah. Anyway, the point is that it's 50 years since the start of hip hop. Wow. And the question is which is the biggest genre in downloaded music in the world? And it is, in fact, R&B and hip-hop with 28% global market share. I think it's very interesting. I didn't think it was that big. But it is R&B and hip-hop. No, you so see. So I would split those two out. I would say they're two different genres. Yeah. But anyway. Well, therein lies the rub, you see. Statistics, statistics. Damn statistics. Uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I've already got this thing. It's coming. I know. Yeah. I know. You've got it down. It's really great. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to more serious topics. We spoke about it a little bit last week, but I do think this is getting interesting now. I'm getting all kinds of vibes about South Africa's financial state and that the Treasury is really turning on the screws now. A lot of the departments have been told apparently they're not getting any increases. South Africa's physical equation is now in a stretched state. What do you think is causing that? What's behind that? I can't in the life of me see a way clear to balancing the fiscal equation as things stand. Just a couple of inputs to that. First of all, you know, if we include people on normal social grants and then we add the social distress grant, we've got 29 million people getting social benefits. Okay, that's half the population. 
We then have less than 8% of people in South Africa qualifying to pay tax. And that means even if you're just paying a little bit, you're included in that 8 million figure. The real taxpayers are probably, you know, one or two, two million. So that's your, that's your source of income and outgo. That equation on its own hardly balances. Okay. Yeah. And then you start going, okay, we've got a power problem in the country. We've got an energy problem. So guess what you're going to do? You're going to get some foreigners to come park some ships off the bay there and plug into us. And that little deal is estimated at 228 billion rand. That's not the only part that irritates me. The real thing that irritates me is that what could we do with 228 billion invested locally, permanently, you know, in creating, all that it's creating is a plug-in 1,200 megawatts, which you can unplug and then leave when you go off to the next country you're going to rip off. Now, the last dimension to that equation is that 49% of that project is owned by BE Group, which was the subject of a spat on the front page of the Sunday Times, people arguing about who's going to have that. For the life of me, I can't see any party deserving a 114 million, billion, sorry, participation. And the conclusion you have to come to is that that drives up the price. If you know that investing in South Africa is going to cost you twice as much to get your return because you have to accommodate the PEE tax, then, you know, it's, then you're just going to move your price. And the last point I want to make on this one, too, before I get too carried away, because it's really got to me, is that if you, if you look at the swing, okay, there's 228 billion out instead of investing 228 billion. In terms of the impact on our economy, okay, ignoring the BEE spend, it's like double. It's like, you know, 456 billion of an equation that's going the wrong way. Help me, Tim. I can't see how we can balance these books. And if you then add corruption and mispricing, and we need to get to an economy that operates on fair market value and that primarily invests locally, that in and of itself will attract foreign direct investment inwards instead of us having to spend it outwards. I mean, let's go back to that hip hop thing, man. I'm finished with it. <laughs> No, no, just can I make a, a couple of points? First of all, you know, on the, on the question of the assistance being paid to, you know, roughly half the population, you know, in a funny kind of way, I don't mind that. I like the idea of government being a balancer in the inequality equation and dispensing its largesse just in money. There's a kind of efficiency about that process. Whether we've got the proportions right is a different question, but the fact that we're doing it you know, I sort of like that. And then, of course, on the co-powership thing and the innate cost, the innate investment tax increase that is tax, yeah, that is required from be honestly, you know, South Africa's got to look at this. It's a, everybody wants transformation. You know, we, we want to transform society, obviously. But do we want this transformation? It's not even a debate. Yeah. Do we want the kind of transformation system that we have at the moment? And, you know, just I can just say straight out, the one that we've got now is, you know, it enhances corruption. It's uneven. It doesn't support black South Africa in general. It only supports a very small fraction of black South Africa. And, and it's an incentive to push up prices to create rent, rent keeping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so this can't be good. And, I, you know, no one's discussing it, not even the opposition parties. It's too much of a topic that's... Political football, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yet 
we can see the consequences in South Africa's declining fiscal position. I was reading an article by Gabriel Price from the Institutional Racial Relations, and you know, he talks about black unemployment at 47.3%, a number that's really properly disclosed in that way, and how it was, you know, in the sort of manual era was sort of half of that and, and, and so on. And so we do have to sit there objectively with a balance sheet in front of us and an income statement and go, the real way to empower is to create value, not to dispense it. Okay, so first create it. Transformation is absolutely essential. Without it, there's nothing to talk about. But we've got to talk about the commercial sustainability of the fiscal equation before we can talk about the sustainability of transformation, which eventually, if it doesn't survive, has a far more perilous outlook than doing it sensibly. Anyway, you know what you should do, though? In China, okay, yeah. they discovered that their youth unemployment was 21%. It's higher than it's been for a while. And so guess what they decided to do? What? Stop publishing it. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. Okay. <laughs> so we go like, nah, we're not going to talk about that anymore. Okay, at least we have here, yeah, with some reservations, a free press and an open debate. The truth is out there to some extent. And so we should be grateful for that. But listen, there is one way that government has saved money. I mean, you have to give credit where credit is due. Mm. There was this guy, he was supposed to go to court. He decided to just give the court a finger and they've arrested him for two hours and then released him. So they saved money. You know what I mean? It's a good thing. They, they, yeah. they would have been an expense. No, no. <laughs> so, no, no yeah. names, no pack drool, but in oh. a roll call that was alphabetical, he'd be right near the end of the list. Just saying. Just saying. And uh, you know what? I think it was expedient. Was. You know, I think the alternative would have cost more and caused more trouble and blah, blah, blah. But the law is not expected or required or should be expedient. Yeah. The law is the law. Yes. And to use expediency as an override disqualifies the law. Expedient law is an oxymoron, man. Yes. Eh? I think so. Anyway, it's out and it's over and let's move on. Okay. My number of the week though, is that I read that we have an infrastructure funding deficit of 1.6 trillion rand. Yep. Okay. So, you know, let's stop talking. Let's find projects and let's find projects that foreigners invest in us instead of us investing in them. That's my plea for the week, man. <laughs> yeah. We were sort of talking about the podcast and we thought that maybe we should talk about at least one innovation. Do you have an innovation of the week, if there is such a thing? Yeah, I do. I mean, I was reading about these scooters in, I think it's India. Right. That's not the focal point. So, so scooters in India are like a major problem, you know, and the pollution and the noise and the blah, blah, blah. And so they've invented a cheap, efficient electric scooter, but that's not the, that's not the innovation. Right. The innovation is that this thing has battery packs, which you get vouchers for, and then you go to fully charged battery pack stations, and you just put your voucher in, unclip the top, take your new battery out, take your old battery out of your scooter, put it in, dung dung. So the whole fill up your tank, if you will, is like a one-minute process. And the charging facility is world-class. It doesn't have to be, you know, it's got power, power, power. And so, you know, I think it's pretty cool. And if you think about the time we waste queuing for petrol stations and the pollution and all that kind of stuff. And then the cream on top of that is that I discovered that we have our first electric minibus going to be launched in South Africa. That'll also be cool. Now we've got to solve the charging problem. And these guys have solved it. 
Yeah, you know, there's some things about this whole transition to electric cars that it just seems so obvious to me. It just seems obvious to me that South Africa is a good place to do it. Everybody says, no, we've got problems at ESCOM, we can't possibly have electric cars. But, you know, a recharging network that uses solar panels or something like that, you could imagine it being installed very quickly in petrol stations around the country so that you just nip in and grab a new battery and then nip out again. I mean, why, why is that not possible? I don't understand. It is possible. The trick is replaceable batteries. So you don't have to pitch up there with your whole car and your whatever. To, you, you can go yeah. and change the batteries like you do for your torch at home or your yeah. whatever it is that you've got running on batteries. Okay, So you can go and say, I'm, I only carry five spare batteries because I want to drive all the way to the career from Joe or Yes. And the trick is that you can just swap them. Okay? There are 10,000 such stations in India. And it has made a huge difference to the traffic problem there. So yep. people are thinking, and for us, that would be a really cool thing, I think, in South Africa. You know, I sort of look at petrol stations in South Africa, and you see those huge roofs. They're all in open areas. Yeah, It doesn't seem like it's an impossible transition problem. Maybe it is. Maybe there is something about it which is hard. I had an interesting conversation about the economics of petrol stations. Mm -hmm. Do you know how much the franchisee, the petrol franchisee, makes out of the sale of petrol or diesel? Or A lot? No, nothing. Zero. Nah, man. Usually the, the petrol sales are a break-even part of the franchise. No, they're governed by the slate, of course. Yeah. Well, they, yeah. they are absolutely ruled by the shop. Exactly. They're governed by the slate. Yeah. 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 And I thought that was very interesting because if that's the case, then, you know, why not do, you know, battery redistribution rather than selling petrol? You know, it would make no difference. Your aim here is not, in fact, to sell petrol or, you know, necessarily to swap batteries, but to get people to stop at your franchise. The whole world economic model is about people traffic. Yeah. You know, the, the debate is what can you invent or put together that attracts foot flow, be it a Taylor Swift uh, concert or a, uh, yeah. attraction or be it a football match. I mean, look at Messi. Eh? He's now changed the economics of football in America. Yeah. What is the attraction? And once the people get to the gate and supply exceeds demand, that's when you start talking economics. Okay? And so, yeah, the, the value of companies is actually now measured by the client acquisition cost and the growth in the number of clients. The rest doesn't kind of matter anymore, right? Yes, yes, yes. In a population as huge as, as we've got. Yeah. So, yeah, if you've got the petrol station, you're a magnet. I know down in Comiki when I need to pay for electricity, I just go to the local petrol station. So they've got that franchise. And they've got any other number of services which they offer there. There's a laundry there. There's an auto bank there. There's all of these kinds of things. This sort of social center. Yeah. All right. New topic. I've been writing a lot about the BRICS conference oh, yeah. uh, next week. I do find it really interesting. You know, my instinct is to say that this is a bit of a showcase thing it's symbolic. You know, there's really, if, if anything concrete comes out of this, I'll be very surprised. But, you know, some of my colleagues, they really like the idea of what they call the global south finding its voice. And that it's possible that BRICS is sort of part of that process. And, I, you know, I hear that argument, even though I do point out to them that three of the five members of the BRICS grouping oh, I happen to be in the northern hemisphere. Yeah, I was about to say. Yeah, I, well, I think... Um, I think it's a much bigger debate. The bigger debate is this, is that if you look at, I think, the quite dangerous developments between America and China, between the East and the West, and you know that applies to Europe and, and so on, Africa starts becoming an interesting focal point. It's sort of in the middle of the world if you've got a flat map. Yeah. Okay. And so, you know, what could we do about it? These members must be asking. 
Now, the downside risk is we start including everyone that's not included in other clubs. Okay. And that's got a sort of lowest common denominator effect to it. But I think there's almost a seismic shift in geopolitical alliances that's coming that we need to think about as an alternative to the sort of near wars that are happening all over the world. So we might be really tricky. I mean, the question is, does the BRICS help or hinder that process? You know, I've been reading quite a lot about it. The Financial Times economics correspondent, Martin Wolf, very wise old owl, you know, he says, you know, part of the problem is that both the G7 and the G20 are, you know, kind of dysfunctional. The G7 is dysfunctional because really it doesn't represent the entire gamut of wealthy and powerful countries in the world, right? Yeah. The G20, on the other hand, very unwieldy body, maybe a little bit too big. Yeah, yeah. It is interesting the role that the BRICS grouping could conceivably play. And they are thinking about expanding, as you mentioned, the BRICS grouping. I'm very worried that they will turn this into an anti-Western entity. Yeah. And that they'll start including countries like Venezuela and Iran and Cuba. And, you know, then we've just got problems. Then basically it, it's an oppositional force. You know, it's a self-designed oppositional force rather than a, something that can actually help. Yeah, it's got two problems. Basically, that lowest common denominator problem. Why would someone be included? Why, why are we being chatted up? And second, of course, and probably the major problem is the acronym. You know, BRICS is such a nice monosyllabic uh, description <laughs> of a body. You know, if we if we now start it's, including it's Venezuela, where do you, which order do you put things in? It's going to be a male and uh, difficult to pronounce it. You're going to get it in our hip-hop song next, for next week. <laughs> you know, there is one country that I think should be part of this new grouping and that won't change necessarily the acronym too much, and that is Indonesia. I would like to see Indonesia being part of it. Yeah. And then you could have Reeks. 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 Too silly. Too silly. Okay. All right, Bob. I'll see you guys next week. Thanks very much. Thanks. Cheers, cheers. This show is part of the Africa Podcast Network. For the biggest pod, pod network, network on, on the continent. continent. For sales inquiries, please, please contact, contact us at info at africapodcastnetwork.com.